This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you Federal Networks and Next Generation Strategies in Technologies and Government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss Federal Networks, Next Generation Strategies and Technologies. With me on today's show are David Bennett, Director of Operations Center and Chief Information Officer, DISA. Keith Bluestein, Associate Chief Information Officer, NASA. Jerry Carone, Acting Director of Enterprise Network Management, Department of State. Bob Costello, Executive Director, Enterprise Networks and Technology Support Directorate, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Jose Padden, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Public Sector Citrix. Stephen LaFrancois, Chief Technology Officer, Public Sector Verizon and Rick Howard, Chief Security Officer, Palo Alto Networks. Well, boy, this is a very important subject. I think about things like uh, OMB the other day talking about some of the policies that they're going to change and uh, giving the agencies the ability to sort of meet the spirit of some of these new policies that they're going to put out. I'm thinking about TIC 2.0 and things like that. And I think about things like zero trust and and uh, software-defined networks, sort of software SDN 2.0. And then I think about things like, uh, you know, the reusable rocket technology that's out there now and all these satellites that are being put up in the, uh, in, the uh, in space that sort of, you know, paint this web of technology and, and communications uh, across the efforts. And then I think about, you know, these agencies that we have here. We have the diplomatic corps, right, you know, across the globe military, very global capabilities that need to be put out there, CBP right smack in the middle of the economy of, of America, and of course NASA that uh, not only deals with this globe, but's trying to put comms out there to Mars, et cetera. And the reality is, look, you know, if we don't have these sophisticated networks, none of this stuff works, right, including cloud and all these other things. Uh, Dave, let's start with you at DISA. You're right smack in the middle of putting these capabilities out, enabling all these various services. Uh, Give us an update as to what's going on in uh, the state of the state of DISA these days in regards to next generation networks. Well, good afternoon, Luke. Thanks for uh, having me on here. Uh, from an agency perspective, one of the things we're doing right now, uh, because of the ever-expanding need for more data, be able to visualize more information, uh, do things, uh, AISR, where we're able to see the battlefield and get intelligence from the battlefield, Bandwidth is always in demand. Very high and bandwidth so, uh, requirement there. One of, one of the priority efforts we have underway is to upgrade the backbone of the DISN to 100G across the entire backbone, mm -hmm. uh, just so that we have the capability and the flexibility to provide bandwidth wherever the, the requirement exists uh, from a global perspective, not just here within the continental United States, but around the world. So having that capacity is central to what it is we do on a daily basis. Uh, but in addition to that, we're also trying to, while we're expanding it, we're also trying to optimize everywhere we can within the network to save cost uh, and, and to drive down prices, if you will, in, in our rates that we charge customers. 
And we're doing that by simplifying the infrastructure and trying to go to mm -hmm. devices that are what I call multifunctional from the standpoint of being able to support various technologies. So within the Dizen backbone, uh, going to sort of a multifunctional router that has ability to support uh, high bandwidth requirements, but also out of one box support legacy TDM circuits, IP packets, as well as optical connections at the customer edge. And by doing that, I can bring uh, a smaller footprint to the enterprise, and the more boxes I can take out of the inventory, the, the more money I can, uh, or the cheaper I can provide the service to the department uh, and reduce rates. Sure, uh, leverage, uh, you know, simplify, and at the same time leverage that, that bulk buying power that Correct. DOD certainly has. Keith, how about at NASA? Uh, how are things going over there in regards to uh, uh, connecting to Mars, let's say, and everything else you guys have to do. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, uh, bringing us here this afternoon. Uh, David brought up a, uh, the word simplify. That's something that with our networks, we have terrestrial networks and extraterrestrial networks, if you will. Ryan, uh, the complex. Sure that. Yeah, well, it is definitely <laughs> a, a unique uh, no. problem set there. And the challenge in there is, especially uh, with these diverse networks, is there are a variety of different protocols, etc. There's a huge amount of complexity in there. And one of the things that we've been looking at is how do you simplify that? Complexity drives, uh, first of all, a, a lot of costs. We have a lot of legacy. When we launch something, especially off the earth, we have to continue to maintain that, that protocol, that particular technology until the end of life for that particular no sensor or whatever it may be. No refreshes in Mars, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that, that creates some, some uh, issues for us. So what we're trying to do is get to more uh, agnostic technology, simplify things. Part of that is uh, getting away from our centralized structure that we've had for years where we have 10 different centers. They all grew up uh, operating networks. In each, even within each of the centers, mm -hmm. they have diverse sets of networks within those centers. So if you want to simplify, uh, you, you need to get to a more uh, homogenous or a homogen, a homogeneous uh, type of infrastructure, number one. But additionally, the, we also do an awful lot of exchange with academia and industry. That creates some security issues for us if we want to have uh, some of our foreign partners come in our network, mm -hmm. uh, some of academia come in there. So one of the things that we're moving towards is trying to get a, a, a more standardized enterprise plane that also has unified threat management. So to what David's point was talking about, some of the devices that we're putting on our border now that do multifunctions coming in and ultimately moving to the point where we can actually have some specific certificate-based things that when Luke comes in, I know that this is Luke's data, and I could sit there and now segment you on our network and, and define where you go and where you can't go. So. Right. I mean, the variances that NASA has to deal with is just absolutely incredible. Steve, I guess you guys at Verizon, you kind of see it all, right? You know, right. you've across these spectrums in regards to, but what are you seeing out there as far as the state of the state and uh, you know, everything sort of moving to an as-a-service, buy-it-by-the-drink kind of thing? Uh, give us a give us a snapshot of what's happening at Verizon. Well, again, and this is exciting times for us. I, um, it, with customers migrating to the cloud, the need and you know, Dave talked about it for more bandwidth uh, to have network that's dynamic so that it scales up and scales down based on the various missions. And that's not just our federal customer base, but it's our entire commercial uh, customer base. So that's why the advent of things like software-defined networking, where we tie into federal enterprises via software APIs, very similar to the way cloud is being consumed today. 
so that you can scale up and scale down to meet the mission requirements is essential. And th that's where a lot of the, the focus and attention in, in our space is around how do we enable that in, in a secure way, uh, supporting the federal government space. And then with the advent of 5G, you know, a lot of people just see it in the ads on TV. That's going to really change the dynamic of what happens and how do I push more intelligence to the edge so that you don't necessarily need to transport everything across the transport network uh, where you're doing a lot of real-time processing locally. So things like augmented reality for law enforcement, being able to do that on the fly and identify you know, friend or foe in a dynamic way and in a secure way is essential uh, to support the federal government missions. And we always love that. If you have any industry rollout announcements that you want to make right here on the show, we're always can, happy to, to entertain those. And you know. I cannot. We're currently and in four cities. Is, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, so we're going to try to get that out of you before the end of the show. Uh, Bob, how about at CBP? As I mentioned, you guys are right smack in the economy of uh, the biggest economy in, on the globe. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of networking to make that happen. Yeah, it really does, Luke, and thanks for having me on today. I think what we're doing at CBP, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we're seeing uh, the need to expand our ability for the operators, Border Patrol, Field Operations, Air Marine, to operate in a totally different pattern than we were before. We're pushing the borders out into to other countries and doing pre-clearance operations on cargo and passengers there. And we're, we're really facing the, the requirement now that we can't expand our network in the fashion that we did before. So, so how do we do that? How do we enable mobility? How do we enable secure um, facilitation of data that we receive from our private sector trading partners? So what we're really doing with networks at CBP is we're taking kind of a different stance. What can we consume? Uh, you know, as a service, mm -hmm. uh, where does it make sense to to not expand our network, but but use functions like the internet, uh, or or tra you know the internet as transport and secure it? Uh, where does uh, our traditional network still make sense because we operate some in some places that are, are quite austere? Uh, it can't always get uh, new networking technologies out where maybe the border patrol station is. Right. Uh, so we're we're looking for ways. To leverage what we have and then also expand uh, into to new areas, whether that's SDN. Expanded use of cellular uh, is, is becoming more and more, whether that's 4G, you know, we're really looking forward to the 5G uh, right. functions that, that will be available, the expanded bandwidth. Uh, and one of the other things that, that uh, I, I'm dealing with more and more is the ability for our customers to bring technology on and, and not have us slow it down uh, on the IT front. Sure. So we want Border Patrol, uh, anyone else in CBP to bring IoT devices in, be able to connect up very quickly. Uh, we're able to, to ensure that that data is safe, but not slow down the mission. So we're trying to really deliver at the speed of mission now. Right, and really leverage some of this, this emerging services that are available out there. Again, I think about the article I read on the satellites, right, and sort of this micro satellites that are going to be out there giving, you know, bandwidth across the, uh, the globe into some of those very absurd uh, areas. Uh, Jose, how about at Citrix? You know, everything's mobile now, right? Everyone's trying to uh, untether themselves. Uh, uh, what are you seeing out there in regards to uh, where this is all going in regards to Citrix? Yeah, so so when we talk about next-gen networks, that, you know, for, first of all, it could help define that, right? So we, we think next-gen networks is taking it from a piece of metal to focusing on people, to, to turning the network into people-centric. And what that means is 
in the various different user experiences that I have, wherever I happen to be on any device I have to be, what is the application performance really happening? Because that's why people are getting onto the network. They're not getting on the network to have a bunch of bandwidth uh, down on a mobile device. They're getting on a network to, to complete something specifically for the mission. So how do we give intelligence into what's going on in a real-world application-specific, and how do, we make, how do we create an environment that allows those applications and the services that we're delivering to understand the conditions that that user may be, and then to, to proactively improve that and to secure that so that you can have the most secure uh, connection as possible and have a great user experience while you're doing that. So that's where we kind of shift the focus to the to, to people and, and, and people the applications. And sort of this, you know, I think this is where the software-defined capability, not even on the network, but just being able to say, okay, this is Luke connecting in, this is what Luke needs, and bang, you know, Luke gets it. Uh, how about at the State Department, Jerry? You guys got a broad mission out there. You got a lot of diverse environments you're trying to de deal with, a lot of diverse telcos that you're trying to deal with. Uh, how are things going over there in regards to next generation capabilities? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we're we're quite busy um, as we as we work to um, you know make this network more secure, resilient, and you know for our mobile diplomats, you know the mobility piece and the the cloud piece. They are disruptive technologies, especially for us network guys. Um, so hard enough to do this domestically. I'm, I'm sure right. it's a real challenge yeah, in every country. Yeah, domestic's tough, yeah. but when you're in the middle of Africa or someplace where right. there's little infrastructure, we uh -huh. still have to deliver there with the same capabilities. Um, so we've been doing a lot of mailbox migrations to the cloud and things like that. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So we've done a lot of bandwidth increases for a lot of um, sites. We are looking at upgrading a lot of our refreshing a lot of our equipment, and with efficiencies, we hope things like DMVPN. Uh, with the new technologies, um, you know, we can have rather than the hub and get away from the hub and spoke concept that we have to do now, like haul everything back to send it someplace else. Um, we are looking to leverage those kind of technologies for much more efficiencies on the network. Um, keying on the data is really important to us. Really protecting the data, understanding where the data is going. Um, we, you know, when you go to the cloud, you're extending your network boundary out to the cloud. Um, it's a little different. It's a little different attack surface as well. Um, so security-wise, we're very, being very cognizant about that. So sure, and I would imagine this cloud, you know, capability for you all really helps you in a lot of ways, right? Sort of snap it all in at a at a global level. Rick, you're seeing this from a from a, a unique perspective over there at Palo Alto Networks. What what are you seeing out there, and sort of where's where's this? Uh, where is this sitting as far as Palo Alto is concerned? It's great that I get to be last and listen to what everybody else says, and I'm struck uh, by how fast things are changing, right? And how we're having to kind of change our worldview. It wasn't just 10 years ago that we were just worried about securing our data behind the perimeter, and that's all we worried about, yeah. all right? But but now, that's so yesterday, I know, it's like, know? <laughs> so old, okay? Um, but we have like five or six different data islands, I call them now, that you have to worry about where the data sits. It's behind the perimeter, it's on all the mobile devices, especially for those folks out in weird places in the world. Um, it's uh, in the cloud, both SaaS applications that everybody is using, like you know Salesforce and Concur and those kinds of things. It's uh, IIS applications like Amazon and Google and Microsoft. And your data from your organizations is sitting in all those places. And it seems really daunting to try to secure all that. The good news here is that technology exists today that you can use the same security toolkit in all of those environments 
right, with the same policy. You talk about simplicity, trying to make things easier for you guys to do. It is possible to do that today. So I'm. This is a good news story. It is possible to secure environments in all those places um, with the tool sets you have in your environments already. Yeah, thank goodness. I can't imagine trying to manage that in any other way under those circumstances. Well, we always like to talk about specific programs. Keith, we're going to start with you at NASA. Tell us about a specific program that you guys are working on that may be of interest to the community in regards to some of this next generation. So uh, you mentioned uh, the uh, uh, SDN type activity. We're, sure. we're, we are uh, just starting some pilots on that activity within NASA, but uh, prior to getting to that uh, particular uh, construct, we're in the process of trying to make all of our networks more common. Again, we've got a lot of diversity in there, so as we move to more common uh, areas, we're going to uh, network access control with specific certificates that are allowing people to now do things like micro-segmentation and really start uh, taking a standard network plane and actually breaking that down into areas so we can really restrict who goes in, who goes out. That's a pretty broad uh, construct for us to enable the continued sharing that we have with the different partners that we use uh, and we're spreading that across the entire agency. So that may not sound like it's uh, it's bleeding edge technology, but we need to get there because the next step is then to actually uh, parlay that into the SDN to give us the agility and the flexibility that we need to move forward to be responsive to some of the requests of our, our engineers or scientists yeah, and some of the other. Very sophisticated and enables a lot of capabilities for you, very you know, dynamic configuration, also uh, secure it. Uh, Jose, how about at Citrix? What, can you tell us about a specific program over there that you guys are working on and may be of interest to the community here? Yeah, so y there's, a, there's a specific DoD program that we're working on in order to be able to secure access to cloud services. So we want to do that in a way that doesn't require the users to actually have to know that they're doing something different or get out of the, the standard workflow that they have. So with, with this use case, when the users log on and they get access to mission-critical applications, it's the same way that we get access to traditional applications. And in the back end, we're dynamically creating a secure connection through, through um, you know, the, the cloud uh, access points back into the cloud services and allowing the agency to get the inspection of that data that they need to make sure that we have secure connection all the way, all the way through. So we kind of handle that on both ends. From a user experience, Life is great, don't have to know anything different, get access to wh what I need to do in a secure manner. On the back end from the IT infrastructure, we're able to move some services into the cloud, get the benefit of that, and still able to do the, the level of inspection security that we need to do on that traffic. So a full sort of end-to-end -end type of capability there, it sounds like, uh, and, and, and a very dynamic kind of configuration. Well, that sounds neat. We're gonna take a break for a minute and we'll come back in just a few minutes and talk about some more programs. Uh, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. How large is your agency? How many mobile workers are you supporting? How many data centers are you consolidating? How many apps are you managing? How many application delivery controllers allow you to securely customize your app delivery for any mission need over any network anywhere in the world? Netscaler from Citrix. The world's most advanced application delivery controller that's proven to be better, cheaper, and faster than F5. 
The evolution of technology presents both opportunities and challenges for federal agencies. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Advanced communications connect your workforce in the office, in the field, and internationally. Modern call center technology helps you serve citizens faster and more effectively. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future. We build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash Federal IT Mod. Prevent successful attacks. Focus on what matters. Automation is key. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. Network to endpoint, GovCloud, and software as a service. Consume security innovation swiftly for all these environments. Palo Alto Network Security Operating Platform provides that prevention in as little as five minutes from the time a new threat is seen, anywhere. For more on Palo Alto Network's Public Sector LLC, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Palo Alto Networks. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're talking about next generation strategies and the federal networks. With me on today's show, we have Dave Bennett uh, at DISA, Keith Bluestein at NASA, Gary Caron, Department of State, Bob Costello, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Jose Payton with Citrix, Stephen LaFrancois at Verizon, and Rick Howard at Palo Alto Networks. Dave, let's start with you. We were talking about specific programs, and I'd like to get a, uh, give you an opportunity to talk about a specific program that you guys are working on uh, that you want to uh, perhaps brag about. Okay. So, uh let me com- combine a couple of things that have been talked about already. Uh, reference has been made to mobility. Uh, in the department, more and more people are wanting more mobile solutions in their hand so that they can basically move their work to wherever they are. Uh, and as a byproduct of that, that means we've got to put something within the network that gives you the ability to bring in those other devices. And every day, almost, somebody comes up with a new device idea to bring in, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, a device it, being a weapon, or a uh, device well, being uh, it, uh, it, it could be yeah. a, lo- a lot of different things. But let's just talk about it for, from a communications perspective. You know, a smartphone sure. or a travel kit or other things like that. Uh, so, so the idea is we need to bring in more mobile devices and and have the flexibility to support a variety of different formats, both in terms of technologies as well as security classifications. And at the same time, I'm trying to simplify the network. Uh, so it's sort of I'm running at odds with each other in the sense of how do I simplify the network yet provide flexibility to support a variety of different formats and platforms, if you will. Meet the demands and, of the warfighter. Right. And so, right yeah. uh, so we're working with this uh, scenario right now, what I, what I term is sort of a universal gateway that allows me to take a variety of inputs of different form factors coming out of the field, whether I'm talking about a, a smartphone or a commercial solutions for classified sort of scenario, uh, as well as travel kits, a variety of different mechanisms, if, if you will, that allows the end user to come in whatever on whatever their device they have, mm-hmm. whether it's an unclassified, classified, et cetera, and then come in through this universal gateway and then connect into their environment within the DISN, wherever that may be, whether that's on a... Uh, at a secret level, an unclassified level, uh, et cetera, but allow the intelligence of that universal gateway provide be that sort of traffic cop 
that routes that information to the appropriate place within sure. the network. Uh, almost like a enable this plug and play kind of Correct. capability. That's awesome. Uh, Bob, how about over at CBP? Give us an example of a program that you guys are working on there that you'd like to share with the well, I, I think here. one of our, our, our biggest and, and most important right now, not to, to tag up on the mobility, but it, 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 we've had a, a... mobility these days. Yeah, right? it, well, it's... Your it, workforce is mobile. It, it is mobile. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of our people don't work in an office at, at CBP. They're out on the front lines, on the border, or at a port of entry. Uh, so one of the things that I've, I've been most excited about is in the last six months, we've really made great strides in our mobility platform and, and a strong integration now between what what is my network team and the application developers. Mm -hmm. So so my teams are, are growing now and understanding that it, it's not the traditional networking like I did when I was hands-on keyboard. Uh, they're getting deeply embedded with the applications. Uh, and we're starting to deliver services that doesn't matter where you are, whether you're uh, you know working at a station in Naco, Arizona, and we're starting to deliver the same services there that you could get on a desktop. So we're starting to deliver particularly uh, to our frontline operators, solutions on the belt, uh, you know, integration between the land mobile radio network and and a mobile device, which is is really key. Uh, we're starting to deliver mission critical information directly on the mobile device, and that's one of the things that I think has been really a game changer for us. We, we've had some good uh, forays into to some limited SDN and automation sure. uh, functions. Uh, we had a, a really good news story down in the, the Virgin Islands last year that unfortunately had been hit you know, by a catastrophic hurricane, and we were able to use some of our new technologies to restore them uh, in, in weeks, uh, which would have taken us months in the past. It's awesome. I yeah. remember Katrina when that happened. That's when we sort of really introduced a lot of the wireless technology that we plugged into uh, the laptops at that point. And, uh, yeah, you know, look. We, we need to come off a of first port being on a desktop to first port being on a mobile device, right? I mean, that's really important. Uh, Steve, how about at Verizon? Can you give us an example of a, a program there that you guys are working on that maybe is something that uh, you know, this whole community would be interested in? Uh, no, certainly, and, and uh, let me just echo what Bob is saying. The, the need to tie applications to the transport and the network is essential, uh, especially as you drive more automation into your infrastructure. Uh, you can't. That's what it's all about. You, you I can't. Mean, people you, are, are, you know, mail and calendar is great, but you know the reality is they want their business apps right right there on their hips. Right. So you can't meet pace of mission without having that automation element. So one of the one of the applications a little bit different from being able to do things, you know, that when things are blowing up or when a hurricane is blowing through, is how to improve citizen services. So that citizen outreach from government out is we're we have some AI type bots and things applied in the call center space, which people don't think a lot about, you know, what's the underlying infrastructure to make that successful, but it's about an end-to-end -end user experience to make sure that caller, when they originate or whatever media they're coming into to interact with government, it's a reliable communication. In a lot of cases, it has to be automated just to handle the volumes uh, if there is a, you know, a shooter incident or some sort of natural disaster. How do you quickly scale up and ensure that you've got timely delivery of the information to whether it's loved ones or government-to-government -government type communication? Um, having that end-to-end -end view of the application, in this case, it's you know, delivery of information uh, in a timely fashion is extremely important. So we see uh, you know, the bit, there's a huge uh, growth in that call center, contact center uh, space. 
uh, to ensure that you know communication between government and civilian uh, uh, folks are happening on a, a real-time basis. I always dread calling those call centers, but you know, <laughs> with with the AI and the machine learning that's in place, you know, I think I was talking to a robot the other day, uh, perhaps, and uh, I, I will tell you they did a fantastic job of. of of solving my problem, That's which, uh, right? yeah, you yeah. know, I won't talk about which vendor it was, but it was a great experience, <laughs> quite frankly. It really was, and I think it's getting a lot better. Uh, Jerry, how about the State Department? Can you give us an example of a program that you guys are working on over there that uh, sort of, you know, is well, uh, emerging these days? Yeah, as, as other people are adopting new technologies, whether it be mobile or cloud, they're really keeping us network folks on our toes and pushing us quicker and quicker. Um, so prioritization of traffic is really important to us now. Sure. Um, no longer is if you're sitting in an office and I'm emailing the guy across the hall, that server is not at that location anymore. Now it's going out to the cloud. So how do we efficiently get to the cloud? So we're setting up direct connects to some of the clouds. We are you know, modernizing our perimeter uh, as well to not be the choke point um, so that we can you know, have a great experience for the user, especially when you're in the, these tough places where it's hard to get good infrastructure. Um, so we're, we're looking at a lot of things. So we're hit with the immediate while still having to try to plan for the future and not lose track of where we want to go with our network. Yeah, you know, but this, we have to address uh, the migrating out to the cloud solved a lot of problems, but then we got into this hairpin kind of issue with the tick. You know, I think OMB recognized to the zero trust and really refactoring the way that we're thinking about that is going to be a, a big deal, and I'm, I'm glad to see that they're instilling some flexibility. Rick, how about over at Palo Alto? Can you give us some um, some creative, ingenious things that you guys are doing over there in regards yeah. to uh, a specific program? Well, we I find my role in more in an educational role as the government moves headlong and moving their stuff into the cloud, okay? And we all know that government doesn't move as fast as the commercial space, but I think everybody here can realize... Some cases faster. Something, yeah, I'll have to bow my hat to those guys, right? Um, but it, it's going to be inevitable, but in the next 10 years, you're going to have a bulk of your workloads operating from cloud environments. But what we don't, we have to take time to notice that you're going to be in multi-cloud environments, meaning you're going to be in Amazon and Google and Microsoft and others. You're going to be in hybrid cloud environments where you're going to have your own cloud that's government-owned and then has to operate with those commercial vendors. And we already know in the security industry that most of the InfoSec professionals have way too many tools that they have to manage already. And they have just exploded if you're going to take on the security tools that all those uh, cloud providers want you to buy. Um, so it is uh, imperative that you know you can do the same policy uh, in all those environments, right? And so you talk to your security vendors. They have solutions for you now. You don't have to invent the wheel just because you're going to the cloud. Right. And, you know, we was out at RSA uh, a while ago, and, you know, we had some of the vendor community that are actually out there almost apologizing about all these tools and logs that are being generated, et cetera. And now, of course, there's this. I, I talk to a lot of yeah. InfoSec professionals, right? Small organizations have 15 to 20 security tools deployed. And I'm right. talking with two guys and a dog in the back room right. that manage the firewall and the printer, and, the, and they make the coffee in the morning. Medium-sized organizations have about 60, all right? And big government, that's about 150 security tools. And the secret in the industry is uh, the size of your InfoSec team. It hasn't gotten any bigger since the early 90s. Right. And now there's tools to manage the tools, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, I always like to talk about lessons learned. And I think this is really important to share with the community 
as we embark on these journeys, right? You know, what are these, some of these things that we're kind of stumbling into if we had it to do over again or advice that we could give to uh, uh, our fellow agencies, et cetera? Dave, let's start with you at DISA. Give us a, some lessons learned as you're sort of embarking into this, this new capability that you'd like to share. Uh, I guess the, the biggest lessons learned that, that I experience basically every day, uh, being from the South, I'm slow, so you know we, I have to learn things over and over and over, but it, it's about operating at scale. So the, the DISN that supports the Department of Defense, it's roughly and the a- The DISN for people that might not know what that is? It's basically, think of it as the, the long haul network that supports all of DOD okay. on a global perspective. So all communications uh, and data run across the backbone uh, of, the, of the Department of Defense uh, information network. Uh, so, the tw- it's about a $28 billion network, all total, if you will. Wow. That uh, and, and the point being is it's thousands and thousands and thousands of devices. And so, when there uh, is a need to patch a particular component, we're talking tens, hundreds, thousands of boxes that need to be patched. And so, the speed at which you can do that goes from very quickly to a single box to I got to put a person actually touching a keyboard on the box. So the speed at which you're able to execute is not always the speed at which you need to be able to execute. And so the, the really the lesson learned is you can never start too soon. You can never be early enough in terms of applying the things you need to do to the network. And as I talk to industry partners, because we, we can't do anything without the industry, uh, is industry understands there's a vulnerability with their product line. You know, let me know is I can immediately start taking action to resolve the issue, even ahead of announcement to the general public, because I don't have to patch five boxes. I've got to patch thousands of boxes located across the entire globe. So it, it's hugely important to be able to get ahead of the issue so that we can move quickly. So speaking I have a question about that, right? Yeah, so sure. The industry has moved, the vendor industry has moved to automatically updating their own stuff without having to go through a manual process. But the government is doesn't like that too much. So what's the so, view these these days? Yeah, so software defined networking is a key. Yeah. But you know, from a government perspective, we are slow to embrace new technologies. And then how you roll that out across the enterprise without inflicting additional damage, if you will. It only takes one bad recipe to suddenly put the, the angst in everybody's mind if you bring the network down because somebody fat-fingered a recipe uh, to, to cause them to pull back and say, well, no, 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 we've got to slow down and I've got to put a person in the middle now to check to make sure that the IT in an automated way is going to work the way I want it to. Yeah, so we just don't want to get to the point where the checkers are checking the checkers, exactly. right? Yeah, you exactly. know. And uh, Steve, I'm talking about you know dealing with things at scale. Uh, what are the lessons learned with Verizon as you're trying to roll out these new technologies, right? 5G included, right? Yeah. Well, and again, uh, uh, the obvious things around scale. You know, we have to scale to billions, in, in some cases, of endpoints across our infrastructure. But I think it really comes down to, uh, given that we do have a multi-purpose uh, capability and transport network, for us it's about understanding the mission and making sure the mission is not lost through procurement. So when we see a requirement uh, from, from government that we haven't lost sight of the mission because I can't tell you the number of times we run into situations where 
we deliver the service as, as promised, and in some cases, that's not exactly what was needed by the time the procurement makes it through the life cycle. So it's really understanding and, and ensuring the partnership with, with government to make sure we understand the mission so that we can deliver the services that are gonna, you know, at the end of the day, help deliver on the outcome of the mission. Also understanding the data, right? So this, this speaks to the security around what is needed at that endpoint. Um, so not all sites are created equal, not all data is created equal, and it's really changing the culture of the people responsible for networking. What is the data that they have to transport? They have to have an understanding of application, and that is just something that has to evolve. A lot of network operators don't necessarily understand the applications. And so you know, making sure partners like Verizon and, and others in the room uh, really understand that mission, I think, makes the Always outcomes much more effective. The relationship between the infrastructure network guys and the application folks, and uh, right. I think that's gotten better, but uh, there there is some dynamics. Bob, you know all about this. Uh, some lessons learned as you're rolling out these type of capabilities. I, I think one of the biggest lessons learned that, that I think we're doing a lot better at it at CBP is fail fast and and, you know, work through through things a lot faster than we did in the past. I, I, th I think Steve hit on, on some things here. We're looking at better ways to partner with procurement and find ways to do things a lot faster uh, and, and sometimes a lot cheaper or place things into operating expenses versus big, gigantic capital expenses, which are very difficult. Uh, they're difficult to plan for, and if we can do things in an OpEx model, sometimes it's easier for our partners to kind of adjust to that. Yeah, um, less expensive isn't always less expensive, and I think we knew when you can buy by the drink, why not, right? You absolutely. can leverage. Um, one of the other things that I, I think we're learning too is uh, we, we have to really embrace the application folks now and, and embed with them and, and talk to them because it, it's a, a different mindset now for many of us that either grew up as network engineers or, or worked in that, that space. Uh, it, it's now they need to have a deep understanding of the transport and the network, whatever that network or their data, and allow the people that need access to that data to get it, or the machines that need access to that data. We do a lot of machine to machine at, at, at CBP. Yeah. Um, so what we're really trying to change our focus on uh, through adopting methodologies in the infrastructure place like Agile, um, you know, fail fast mindset, sure. uh, rapid procurements, rapid prototyping. Uh, that, that was, those are really our, our lessons learned is, is that uh, I think for me personally, it's uh, I'm not the expert in this stuff. Uh, so I need to encourage the people that are and I, I need to be accepting so that we don't go into the, the check the checkers model. We will have failures and that's okay. But it's understanding why we had the failure and then recovering really fast from that. I think the other thing that we're trying to do too is not get stuck into the, uh, the 10 year proof of concept. Uh, I, I think that happens quite often, uh, maybe a little more in government. I think we need to say this is working, let's roll it out, or let's just stop. It's not working and that's okay. Here's the five things we learned from it and move on. Right, and just evolve as the technology evolves and take advantage of it. Jerry, how about at State? You got a, uh, an example there of uh, um, yeah. some lessons learned? Well, I think it's interesting listening to the, the previous answers. None of it has to do with technology. It's all about people processing policies. Sure. Um, that, that's where the lessons learned. The technology is the easy part usually. It's the people processing policies that un end up being difficult. Um, so 
you know, dealing with the application developers, want the new shiny toy as quick as possible, um, dealing with those things. But you got to have a, you still got to have a strategy. You still got to have a framework that you work within so that you can keep on track. You got to understand the mission. Um, somebody mentioned that. Really understanding the mission. I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler for when I ask an engineer, you know, why are you doing this? If they give me a technical answer, that's not good enough because they don't understand the business need that they're trying to meet or the mission that they're trying to meet to do that. So some lessons learned is getting the technical folks to understand why they're doing things, not just because it's the new, latest, greatest upgrade or something, but really understanding um, why they're doing it and always improving the people process and things, communicating things. All comes back to some basic blocking and tackling. All right, well, we're going to um, come back to that lessons learned and, and uh, talk about that a little bit more, but we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. How large is your agency? How many mobile workers are you supporting? How many data centers are you consolidating? How many apps are you managing? How many application delivery controllers allow you to securely customize your app delivery for any mission need over any network anywhere in the world? Netscaler from Citrix, the world's most advanced application delivery controller that's proven to be better, cheaper, and faster than F5. The evolution of technology presents both opportunities and challenges for federal agencies. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Advanced communications connect your workforce in the office, in the field, and internationally. Modern call center technology helps you serve citizens faster and more effectively. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future. We build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash Federal IT Mod. Prevent successful attacks. Focus on what matters. Automation is key. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. Network to endpoint, GovCloud, and software as a service. Consume security innovation swiftly for all these environments. Palo Alto Network Security Operating Platform provides that prevention in as little as five minutes from the time a new threat is seen anywhere. For more on Palo Alto Networks Public Sector LLC, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Palo Alto Networks. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're talking about federal networks, next generations. Uh, with me on today's show, we've got Dave Bennett with DISA, Keith Lustein with NASA, Jerry Carone, Department of State, Bob Costello, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Jose Padden, Citrix, Stephen LaFrancois at Verizon, and Rick Howard with Palo Alto Networks. We're talking about lessons learned. Rick, let's go over to you at Palo Alto Networks. You're seeing a lot of different things out there. Give us an example of some lessons learned that uh, you can share with this audience on uh, things that you're discovering over there. Um, I think what's happening is uh, our set of best practices that we all learned when we were young cubs back in the early 90s about how to secure environments, they're changing. What we got drummed into our heads when, you know, uh, in the early days was you needed to have vendor in depth, meaning you want to have, if you're going to have a security suite, you're going to have multiple vendors in there because we don't trust most of those guys. And if any one of them failed, you can rely on the other one. So vendor in depth was one best practice. Uh, the other one was uh, um, seek the best products. Okay, you're going to do best of breed evaluations of all these products. Uh, and it takes your staff time to get all that done. But what's happened, those two things, those two best practices 
has caused us to be in the situation we are in now with way too many tools that we have to manage. So here's the new best practice that it's, that's emerging. Seek vendors that integrate. Right, if you're buying some new tool this year and it doesn't already integrate with the stuff you already have, you just put the burden on your staff to make that work yourself. So why would you do that? All right? Find vendors who integrate for you so you don't have to do the work yourselves. That's the new best practice. Yeah, uh, and continue to, to sort of leverage that capability and all the, uh, the girth that those folks have available to them. Jose, how about at uh, Citrix? So, uh, you know, example that I have, and, and really I could compare two agencies in, in this example, and it kind of goes back to what Bob was talking about, is to fail fast and try quickly. So we were working with agency, agency one on an effort to be able to help them move to the cloud and seek some of the benefits there, and to get a better visibility into what's going on in the application. And there, they, there was a debate on which cloud to use. At a similar timeline, we were talking to Agency 2, and in Agency 2, it was a similar conversation. We want to move to the cloud. We want to see the benefits there. We want to get better uh, you know, access to applications and do it in a secure manner. And there, you know, we were able to get a pilot going quickly and to get that up and running. And the, the lesson learned that we found out is you know, the, the customer came back to us and said, application performance is terrible. We said, okay, um, can, can we take a look at what does it look like on-prem? Application performance is terrible. <laughs> so, you know, really what, what happened is moving this pilot into the cloud, you know, first thing we said, okay, let's, can we agree this is not a Citrix problem? Yes, okay, it's not a Citrix problem. Um, yeah. So let's see what we can do and work together to try to fix this problem because what was going on for years in the agency was that this mission critical application had extremely poor performance that was unacceptable to the users, right? And we were able to discover this in this migration over to the cloud to, to have that working. So with we worked with the agency to try to figure out what was going on. We found some application level issues that were going on, some things at the data le level that were going on, and we improved the application performance so that it was acceptable. And we were also able to give the users the security, the experience, and the choice that they want to get access to, to this application wherever they need it. Yeah, I think some of this fine-grained instrumentation that's available now allows us to do that. And I, you know, I want to get away from fail fast, and I want to start saying learn fast, right? Because right. that's really what's happening here. We're learning and uh, continuing to evolve. Keith, how about at NASA? I know you guys are dealing with exoplanets and everything else, but uh, give us an example of some lessons learned out there that you, uh, you're you discovering. Sure, I'm gonna kind of piggyback on what uh, Jerry was talking about earlier, that sometimes we get enamored with technology because we wanna make it work, we integrate things, et cetera, but especially when it comes to networking things, that's not something that touches a lot of customers you know if they're looking at a desktop a mobile device or something they're they're interfacing with that and we would have that interaction with them but a lot of times we're doing things on the back end to sit there and deliver packets etc we don't necessarily engage the customer or the stakeholders as to what is important to them or to prepare them for what might happen what other uh, benefits or what other risks might be uh, introduced so with that one of the things that uh, we've learned or relearned is that a lot of times collect, being able to collect data when we come up with that solution, making sure that you can collect the right kind of data on the back end to now translate to, okay, do I have issues? Do I have application delivery issues, et cetera? I can collect that data from a diagnosis standpoint. Can I collect the data for audit standpoint? But more importantly, can I collect data that I can now go back to stakeholders and say, here's how I delivered value, or here's the benefit to other capabilities that I can bring to the fore. So the two things are not only engaging with the, the stakeholders, but also making sure you're collecting the right 
right data that you can now yeah. sit there and move this forward. Having that fine-grained metric so you can make good decisions. Uh, well, let's uh, take a few minutes and talk about the future. You know, paint that picture. You know, what does it look like out there? I don't even want to say five years because five years is like eternity. Let's say a couple of years. Rick, how about let's start with you at Palo Alto NAFWorks. What is the uh, what's the future look like out there over the next couple of years? What do you it's, guys got cooking in the lab? It's really exciting how things are going to change so fast and how we all are going to consume security products, right? And this is not just us; the entire industry is moving that way. Uh, all of us have been all the vendors have been experimenting with moving moving our services to the cloud and delivering them as SaaS services. The next step, though, in that evolution is that there's going to be app stores for security services. Very similar to how you guys do your phones now with Apple and Android. You have your one little uh, platform, your phone. You go to the app store and say, I want this app, I want this app, and this app. It just delivers to your phone and it works on the already deployed infrastructure. Uh, that's what's going to happen in the cloud. Vendors like us are going to have not only our services up there, but other security vendors will sell their stuff in this kind of environment, and everything will operate on the same standardized infrastructure. That's in the near future I love now. It. Security, yeah. you got an app for that. Yeah. Uh, how, about, for that? Uh, how about Jerry, that? How about a state? Are we going to have an app for e passports? <laughs> we already got e passports. Sure. What's next? So um, my, my mission or my objective is to make the network like the air you breathe. It's there. You don't think about it. Like it's just right? that's just what the users want. Yeah, yeah. Should be a song or something. Uh, or, <laughs> I'm not a good writer, but <laughs> when it comes to that, but um, so make it like the air you breathe. It's just there. People don't think about it. Not getting those calls anymore. It's working everywhere. Uh, so one of the things I'm actually projectizing right now, and I think it's great that um, you're hearing it from OMB now and everything is zero trust networks. Um, the perimeter is pretty much going away, um, like Rick was saying. Um, why should I even trust people within my perimeter? Just because they're clear, there's there's stuff going on within your perimeters I'm as shocked. well. I'm shocked. Yeah, so, you know, so having a zero trust network is very important. So focusing on the data and protecting the data, putting those resources, not putting all the resources and security on your desktops anymore and having those 15 agents or whatever that do those little niche things, but making the desktop the most insignificant thing on the network. Is your data protected? Do you know who has access to what at what time? And everything in between, as long as my data is protected, I know who has access, who's on my network, who can access it, and protecting the apps as well. Putting the protections around the apps that facilitate the access to that data is very important. So if I'm not fully patched on my network, is my data protected? Do people have access to it? Can they still work? That's that's what I see sure. um, going forward. Network just has to be there, and it has to be secure when it is there. Jose, how about at Systrix? What do you guys got cooking in the lab over there? Well, you know, I think the vision for the future and, and what we see is really a world where the service and the application and people are first. Right, So that's what we're starting to see evolve now and we'll get to the point where when we think about cloud and cloud migration, that's really a half step. Right, The real step is when we get to a level where we're able to, to deliver secure services to the users wherever they happen to be from any cloud to any device in any network condition. And that's, that's really the, the future and the vision that we see for the, the federal government and, and what we think we can help. Fantastic. I mean, if the, the uh, it's all about the user. Bob, how about at CBP? What, what's the future look like? Uh, 
out there on the borders and in the airports and the seaports, et cetera? Well, I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's multi multifaceted. I, I think I certainly agree with everyone. We want the network uh, to be something that nobody thinks about. It would be my dream if nobody out in the field knew my name as the network guy. Uh, that, 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 <laughs> the only time I ever talked about networks is when they were uh, didn't work or when they, did, they were too expensive. A, a, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, I think, too, citizen services, that's very big for CBP. How do we facilitate uh, trade and travel? How do we speed up that process? Because it drives the economy. It keeps us all you know safe and secure. So we're seeing... What goes into that, though, is a lot more data, whether it's facial, facial recognition, whether it's the ability to get from the radiation portal monitors directly feeding in uh, to our other systems. So we're seeing a lot more data come across our network now, and we kind of need to contend with that. Uh, the other aspect that we, we really want is that same user experience no matter where you are. Does the app look and in, in, in is it as responsive, whether you're on your mobile device, sitting at a desktop, or on a tablet? And, and how do we do that? So it's going to be a big partnership. We're going to still, you know, in a year, two, three years, probably still have that traditional MPLS-based network in some areas. But we really need to kind of push hard to start delivering, no matter where you are, if you're sitting in your home, uh, you know, you get the type of data that you're authorized for, or, or if you're out in the field, can we still deliver that same amount of data? So, that, and the, the other thing we need to do is simplify things. You can't ask users to, you know, select a drop-down box on how you connect. You need to make your network really intelligent. So and what drives, smarter enough, right? Yeah, exactly. And automation—that's going to be the next big thing. How do I, I make sure that people are in the right places in the process, but the network? can self-heal, self-learn, uh, and, and in some cases self-patch itself as things come out. Because we, we spend too much time on people being involved in processes because that's the way we've done it for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And, and we need yeah. to kind of pull that Take that. that away. Let the user, the operator, uh, be the operator, right? Absolutely. Uh, Steve, how about at Verizon? Uh, you want to make an announcement on 5G right here on right uh, now, Federal Luke. News Network? No, right. I'll go back to answering your question. Okay. <laughs> the other, the other one. Um, now, the you know what I see in the future is really w what we've been talking about today is everything is migrating to software-based mm -hmm. services, which really doesn't require just technology changes. It requires organizational changes in the people. So today, we, you know, the typical model is you've got a garrison-type model where things you're building fixed infrastructure. You've got some mobile infrastructure that's being put in place. Uh, but what I really see happening is more going towards as a service. In the case of, you know, think of a mobile app. It's making, you're getting updates on your mobile apps all the time in the iOSs. Your organizational structure has to be able to be that dynamic as well. So a traditional security operations center, um, as you move some of those capabilities into an as a service, Think about changing your workforce to be more incident responders because there's going to be more incidents that you need to go investigate. And that's really about getting closer to the mission space to make sure that you're able to support that mission space. Network operators, typical network operators, I see them evolving into application tuners uh, where you're making sure that application is supporting the mission 
uh, on a dynamic basis. And so from a leadership perspective, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that you've got the con continuous learning happening within your organization so that they're ready for that shift um, of, of skill sets that are required to con continue to support yeah, the dynamic like, mission you, know, you guys were talking about sort of the vendor community coming together and sort of solving some of those integration things. That's, uh, you know, taking that out of the network operator's hands and letting them be a, an application tuner. I love it. Keith, how about at... Uh, what Steve was saying, yeah. you want the machines to automate the configuration, the updates, Absolutely. and use the humans to do the really hard stuff. Right? Sure. Yeah. Keith, what, what does the future look like uh, for NASA? NASA's all about the future. So I think, you know, I'm going to go back to an old school example in here, and that I think the the things we've been talking here all roll into that. For us to launch a rocket, for instance, we have to actually build that rocket. It starts at Michoud facility, goes up and starts getting staged at Marshall, goes down to Louisiana, and ultimately ends up at Kennedy. And in that whole process, it's going on a barge, old school barge, with a tug on the front and a tug on the back. And one of the things that we've been doing is outfitting these, these facilities as it's going. That's a large investment that's kind of going through these different areas, in, including going under a bridge that only has about a one-foot clearance as they're they're going through this bridge down in Louisiana. So within that, we need to maintain connectivity of that. And I'll call it uh, ubiquitous communications, where you're going through. These things are outfitted with, with Wi-Fi, connections to land mobile radio, to uh, satellite radio, et cetera, so that no matter where it goes, there are dead spots that we know that it automatically picks up communication and communicate with other uh, nodes, and people can monitor that data throughout the entire life cycle of that. And I envision that going forward no matter what we do and i suspect it goes well beyond nasa that you'll have that where it's not just if i have a wireless phone you know i'm always looking for my network on the wireless phone but can i go from one network to another seamlessly in the future and having that technology to be able to shift from one to the other uh, more so than just a, a land-based network yeah, especially on, uh, you know, I, I think about all these IoT devices, right? I mean, exactly. cars being the obvious one, but all these other things that are in transit, right? And being able to pick up that information as you're moving and transiting around and being able to use that in a meaningful and respectful way and, you know, respecting the civil rights and civil liberties and all those other things. Uh, take us home, Dave, in regards to DISA. What does the future look like in respect to what you guys are cooking up there at DISA and, and, and what, 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 is, what does DISN look like in three years? So, so I think right now we think about the infrastructure, the, the network is an infrastructure piece of hardware that's very static, very stable, doesn't do anything. And I think as we go forward, we've got to be thinking about the infrastructure, the network as a capability to be taken advantage of and leveraged to the point where I should be able to take the network and maneuver the network to adapt to changing scenarios, situations, et cetera. So as I see attacks coming in from the outside, I should be able to redefine, restructure the network on the fly through automation so that the, the environment that the adversary thinks is there is no longer where it was five minutes ago. Uh, so you've got to be able to maneuver the network not only from a cyber perspective to provide additional defenses, but also the ability to react quickly to changing requirements in terms of mission statements. I need to be able to expand the space where you can operate, how you can operate, and how you interact with various capabilities. Smart network. It's not only a software-defined network, it's a software-defined defense of that network, right. which is fascinating. This is a fascinating topic, and I want to thank all the guests here for taking time out of their busy schedules to join us 
for this program. I'd like to thank the sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there, that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.